0: Little bit of time. Totally. First little bit of time. Okay, so this first little bit of time here is for uh for Brendan to put in the music. Let's hold yep. All right everybody. So welcome to episode three of the Redbird Rants podcast. And we are doing something really fun and exciting tonight. Uh, we are Broadcasting live for the first time, we're transitioning over to Blog Talk Radio, a great online source for all podcasts, including uh, a series of podcasts through our sister site, the United Cardinals bloggers. Check them out. They do a a live radio show every Wednesday night throughout the month. Um, I host one on the third Tuesday. I am Michael Miles, co-editor of Redbird Rants, and I want to welcome to uh, the show tonight, Uh, We are joined by Tito Rivera. Hey, Tito, how are you? Doing well.
1: It's a nice off day. We need to get ready for tomorrow, though.
0: Absolutely. And we're also joined by Nathan Grime. Nathan,
2: how are you? Doing pretty good. Yourself?
0: I'm doing well. So we're doing something kind of fun, and you guys can hear all the noise. We are doing a live broadcast. I'm actually out at a Little League ball field as my son's team has just won their game. My son, unfortunately, plays for the Cubs. I know that they're really tough <laughs> thing to swallow. <laughs> So uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to toss it to the two guys, let them get us kicked off and started. And and I think tonight what we should do is I'd love for us to look back, two two series back, to the Cubs series, which I think uh, Tito and Nathan, you guys may agree, there were some pleasant surprises
2: in that series, right? Yeah, it was good to see the Cards take two out of three against the Cubs, kind of just show that they can compete with their division rivals. Of course, the Cubs are having – their own struggles to begin the year but I mean the Cubs will be there at the end of the year I think they're they've got too much talent on their team to to be a 500 team all year and as we've seen they won their last three games against Cincinnati this week so I mean a win is a win and the Cardinals were were fortunate to get two out of three against the Cubs over the weekend
1: yeah and I think it's also important to uh kind of Look back at this series. and um, when i uh, I actually wrote a piece in about the May schedule, and I said that this was the most important series for the Cardinals to date. And I actually predicted them to lose two of the games to the Cubs. So it was a nice surprise for me to see that the Cardinals were able to be. And crazy, crazy enough that they go out and beat John Lester and Jake Arietta for their two wins. I mean, you can't, you can't write it better than that.
0: Yeah, and actually, you know, as, as you guys may talk about, I think we won pretty handedly against Jake Arietta with some incredible hits. And I, I, that was a really exciting game for me.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's one of those things where you you go into it knowing that you're facing a pitcher of Arietta's caliber and you have to be at your best. And the Cardinals were fortunate enough to get a couple of home runs from Yadier Molina and actually Carpenter finally got to Arietta and hit one out himself, so it it was a really nice win.
2: Absolutely. And those two home runs were the so I was just going to say, those two home runs were the four runs that, that the Cards got off of Arrieta, yet the storyline from that game was Adam Wainwright throwing his seven scoreless innings, and that was really good to see him improve upon his uh, very mediocre start to the season. Four runs, we really weren't sure if that would be enough for Wainwright, but he got the job done over the weekend.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So tell us, can we go one game at a time through that series? And Tito, could, would you kick us off with game one of the Cubs series? Give us your feedback. What were the positives from that game? If there were any negatives at all that you saw? And then, Nathan, I'd love to hear from you and have the same thing. Just what were the positives that you picked up from that game? And, and what were some things that the Cardinals probably could have improved upon in that first game of that Cubs series?
1: So from the first game I think you know the big thing that stands out to me is that Mike Lee continues to be the pitch the best pitcher on the Cardinals right now. Um he had a, a his seventh consecutive quality start then um and he was able to go out limit the damage to just two solo home runs. Um, and he really pitched a a nice game. I think the only thing that he would tell you that he wishes he did better would be uh, limiting the walks that he gave up, and unfortunately he gave up, I believe, three, but even then that's not too bad. But, you know, you're used to him at this point, you know, this year, being so, so economical with his pitches, and so to see him give up some walks, uh, it kind of gave you a little pause for thought, but he continued to be the best pitcher, and it really showed. The You know, another positive is that the Cardinals were still in the game. I mean, you're talking about, one, you know, just one well-placed hit from tying the game, sending it into, you know, extra innings, but unfortunately, um, you know, there was just, you know, Wade Davis is just too good. Uh, and he he's just he's arguably one of the best closers in the game. I'd say I think to me the biggest negative throughout that night I'm going to go with the struggling the stagnant offense that the Cardinals had and it always to me it seems like he the Cardinals always struggle against new pitchers or unknown pitchers. So it it was it was kind of tough to watch.
2: Yeah, I think Tito touched on pretty much all the positives and negatives from that one game. One thing that I would add is we saw the continued uh, very bad start to the season. I don't really know how else to put it for Brett Cecil out of the bullpen. You know, he gave up that home run to Tommy La Stella, another left-handed batter. It seems that left handers have just hit Cecil pretty easily to begin the season. And um, that outing kind of prompted Mike Messina to finally address and acknowledge, yes, Cecil struggled against lefties. And... uh Maybe we'll see a reworking of Cecil's role here, although he did pitch in the Boston series in a close game that the Cardinals were down by a couple of runs. But, I mean, Brett Cecil is not is not the four-year, 30-million guy that we thought we would get um, heading into the season. The, the, uh, the positive news for Cecil, I suppose, is that he's not really going anywhere because of that contract. I mean, he's going to be on this roster, and he has uh, the rest of the season to hopefully work it out. Do you guys care if I take us on a little bit
0: of a tangent here? I'd like to talk about Brett Cecil for just a minute. Uh, I think he will be a recurrent theme in our talks tonight. But one of the things that stands out to me about Brett Cecil is there seems to maybe be something nagging him. And I'm wondering if there's some undiagnosed or unadmitted injury that we're going to find out about. Um, In a short while And the reason I say that is I don't have a whole lot of faith and trust In the Cardinals Medical staff In terms of what they allow To come out in in terms of news And it wouldn't surprise me If a DL stint happens for Cecil At the same time of saying that And I'm going to toss it back to you guys To hear your thoughts on that Uh, On the other side of that is this idea That Cecil has now shaved his head In an effort to find (laughs) his mojo. So, you know, you guys uh, tell me what you think about Brett Cecil and then let's dive back into the Cubs series to go into game two. But I really want to hear what you guys think about Cecil. I didn't want us to, to leave that just sitting out there. I'm, I'm really excited to hear yeah. from both of you.
2: Yeah. Well, the thing you said about Cecil shaving it said, I mean, it worked for Carlos Martinez, right? So we'll see if it works for Cecil. <laughs> um, you know, obviously baseball is a sport where the, where the players are often superstitious. So that's probably, all that was. I mean, I'm sure Cecil is trying to change something up, and the hair was probably the first to go. Uh, the point you bring up about a potential injury is interesting. Um, I haven't really heard anyone speculate about that yet, but he did uh, have a disabled list stint last year with the Blue Jays last summer, a, a left tricep strain that put him on the disabled list for about a month or so. And I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe that's a recurring issue for him. I mean, of course, soreness is 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 regular for pitchers, but then there's, of course, a difference between just your everyday soreness from pitching and then an actual injury that warrants a trip to the disabled list. So, I mean, it's possible, and if, if that is the case, I would suspect we'd figure out pretty soon because we do have some roster moves upcoming with some outfielders coming back from the disabled list. I'm sure we'll get to that whole situation later here in the episode, but... I mean, it's possible. Uh, I just think, you know, his a new team, he's obviously trying to make an impression here with the Cardinals. And, you know, perhaps he's just putting too much pressure on himself. But Brett Cecil historically has been a better pitcher than what we've seen so far this season.
1: And it's interesting that you mention that, uh, Dr. Miles, because the way you make it sound, uh, it kind of reminds me of Johnny Peralta somewhat. Struggling veteran, all of a sudden goes on the DL. We weren't really, you know, given any news about it prior to him going on the DL. So it's almost as if you were kind of, kind of speculating something of that magnitude. And I just want to touch on something that Nathan said, you know, that he, you know, he's, you know, he's a veteran guy and he's, he's better than what we know. That is true. But at the same time, you you know, the manager, Mike Matheny, needs to go up to Brett Cecil and say, hey, go out there and throw the ball. You know how to pitch. Just go do it. Because let's, let's be honest, last year Cecil gave up six home runs in the entire year, 54 games. He's already halfway there through 23. That's not good. I mean, that's that's actually really, really bad. And if he's going to continue to give up those home runs, you can't have any faith in him. And what stinks for the Cardinals is is that you can't have much faith in Kevin Segrist either. So neither of your left-handed options are doing a good job out of the bullpen. And so Matheny's in a catch 22, no pun intended, Um, but he can't, he can't trust either of his left-handed relievers right now. And so it's, He's going with the best that he can, and right now he trusts Cecil a little bit more than Segrist, but I don't know by how much.
0: You know, Tito, I think you really hit on something there. Would you share with us again those stats from Brett Cecil's home runs per the number of games pitched in 2016, and then the home yeah, runs and the number of games pitched here in 17 so far?
1: Yeah, so in 54 games, Brett Cecil gave up six home runs. In this year, through 20 games, I, I, I should have said, 20 games he's already given up three. So, you know, he's already on pace for six home runs through 40 games. So, I mean, we're talking about a higher home run rate than what he did last year. And, you know, that's that's just a little concerning to me. And not only that, it's not only that he's giving up home runs, but two-thirds of those home runs have been to left-handed hitters, or I think all of them have been given to left-handed hitters. I mean, Yeah, all, all three have been to lefties this year. Yeah, and he's a left-handed specialist. So it, it just, if it, you know, you bring up a good point, Dr. Miles, maybe something's bothering him, but at the end of the day, you know, he has to pitch. You locate your pitches, don't throw it down the chute, because that's exactly what he does you got to locate your pitches i mean you you know he knows he can pitch he just has to go out there and do it i mean i know it's easier said than done and he's the major league pitcher not me but that's his job go do it
0: yeah i just found that 50 that barely over 50 number to be a telling sign in terms of you know my speculation that there might be a nagging injury here. He had a not a terribly full season last year. I mean, most relievers are in the fifty to seventy range, uh, but now he's already halfway to his count of last year. I mean, we're not quite to the twenty-five number, but we're we're roughly there, and, and we're not even halfway through the season, and we're. I don't know if we're starting to see him show some exhaustion or or a nagging injury that's just sitting in there, but. Certainly his numbers last year were abbreviated and I I just find myself scratching my head if that's going to be what we're going to see this year. So I guess, I guess time will tell in that. And uh, if we know anything from Mike Matheny, we know he will ride that horse until the legs fall off. (laughs) Um, So I guess, I guess we'll find out what Brett Cecil's limit is before the season's over. But if I could, if we could drive us back to that Cubs series and let's go to game two and I'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, Nathan,
2: why don't you pick us off this time? Yeah, well, we saw the Cardinals with a 5-3 win in the second second game of the series. I think the place you've got to start is Carlos Martinez. He's the ace of the staff. Uh, he's won now his last three decisions after starting the year 0-3. Oh, he pitched into the seventh inning again, which was great to see. And he was efficient, only 99 pitches through six and two-thirds innings. And uh, for much of the game, he'd only given up that one run. He, of course, gave up the two-run home run to the new Cubs outfielder Ian, Ian Happ to make it a, a three-run outing for Carlos. But, I mean, he was good enough to get the win, and at the same time he still walked four, gave up five hits. So he wasn't, you know, vintage dominant Carlos Martinez, but he was good enough to get the job done and get his team to win, and that's the definition of an ace. Um, on the offensive side of the ball, I mean, Martinez had two more hits, so that was good to see uh, helping helping himself out as he's done uh, this season. And then, of course, You've got to talk about Tommy Pham, and Magnani Sierra, what they brought to the plate as far as run production, and then wreaking havoc on the bases, which is always, which is always, you know, even more when John Lester is on the mound, because you know his struggles with holding runners on and throwing the bases is well documented. So the Cardinals just had a field day on the bases with Lester on the mound. They took advantage of those opportunities with uh, you know dynamic players like Pham and Sierra. And I think one big thing to take away from this,
1: uh, at least the game for against John Lester, is to look at the advance the Cardinals took against him, because he is a left-hander. And as I mentioned in you know one of my my latest articles about the May schedule, is that Clayton Kershaw is going to be facing the Cardinals at least once, but probably twice in the next you know two weeks. So I found it really, really, really important to see how the Cardinals handled left-handed pitching against one of the better ones than John Lester, and they did a pretty good job. I mean, you you think about the dominance that John Lester has had last year was one of arguably one of his best years as a pitcher, and to to go out there, score five runs, and put the game out of reach early on before it got out of hand uh, or at least the Cubs could come back, it's a good sign. And I'm not saying that John Lester is Clayton Kershaw because we all know that Kershaw is the best pitcher probably in baseball. But there's something to be said about how the Cardinals take their approach against left-handed pitching. And it would be interesting to see if that kind of at-bats or those at-bats carry over into one of Kershaw's starts or both of Kershaw's starts.
0: Yeah, and then, you know, one of the things that I want to say about that second game was, honestly, guys, I love when a pitcher can come up and do at the plate what Martinez did. I love when they can come up and hit. And that just makes them so dangerous. And that is such the positive argument for the DH staying out of the National League than anything else under the sun. I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on on pitchers who rake and pitchers who hit. And then let's dive right in once you tell me those thoughts. Let's go straight on in to your thoughts on
2: game three that closed out the Cubs series. Yeah, well, as you said, you, you hit it right on the head. Watching pitchers hit is a lot of fun. And, as you know, as people who watch the St. Louis Cardinals, historically they've had good hitting pitchers. I mean, this year you could say that three of their five starting pitchers are well above average. Carlos Martinez, uh, who led the who led the pitching staff in batting average last season, and then you've got Adam Wainwright and Mike Leek, who who have all hit the ball well this season as well. And not only can they hit, but you saw Carlos Martinez have that kind of suicide squeeze play at the plate or safety squeeze at the plate, which then just I mean, that, that puts a defense on its heels and as I mentioned earlier, John Lester, when he's on the mound, I mean, that's going to be hard for him to, you know, feel the bunt with a runner coming down the third base line. So yeah, it's a lot of fun when you're nine hole, when your pitcher's in the nine hole, but he's not an automatic out and he's, you know, dangerous at the plate. If you've got a runner in scoring position as they had there with that bunt play, you, you have a fair amount of confidence that, you know, if you get the bunt down, you can get that run home. And that changes the complexion of the game for sure.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree with Nathan here. It's, it's nice to see all your players, including your pitchers, participate in the game. It's nice to see them hit the ball with authority and make you know, productive outs. I mean, think about it. John Lester hits one off the wall in center field for a double to score the first run of the game. What does Carlos Martinez do? Responds with that safety squeeze. So I mean that's just I mean, that's, that's just that's good baseball. And you know, as far as the DH coming into the NL. I'll, I'll be old school on this one and say, you know what, keep it out. I uh, I don't need it. It's it's work. It's been that way for so long. Why why change it now? I mean, there's no reason yeah. to. For sure.
2: And I just as a little bit of a side note, as far as DHing in the National League goes, I was reading something that the general manager John Mozeliak said about Boston being in town, and I thought he raised a pretty interesting point about perhaps having when when an American League team is playing in a National League park, like we had the Red Sox playing at Bush Stadium this past week, maybe having a designated hitter in that scenario, but then when a National League team plays in an American League park, uh, having the pitcher sit, and that kind of gives American League fans a different perspective watching their team play with pitcher sitting, and National League fans a different perspective with watching a designated hitter in their home park. Since we get to see the Cardinals pitchers hit, of course, whenever they're playing National League teams, I don't think that's a bad idea. I mean, but, yeah, I would prefer to see pitchers hit. I I don't know how long that the designated hitter will be relegated just to the American League for. It seems like we're kind of heading in the direction that the National League will eventually adopt the designated hitter. Um, I would not prefer to see that. I would agree with you, Tito. But I don't think it would be the end of the world. But, I mean, definitely when the pitcher is hitting, as we've touched upon, brings more excitement and more strategy to the game, and that just makes the game better.
1: Well, I guess we can just pick well, up right there from uh from pitchers who rake and just go straight into game 3 because I think the story of game 3 is definitely Adam Wainwright, would not you guys agree? Yep. Definitely.
2: Absolutely. And what he did on the mound especially.
1: Yeah, I mean, he goes 7 innings, 4 hits. He walks a, he walks a few batters, but I mean, that's his vintage of Wainwright we've seen all season and I I think it's a positive sign for him. I don't know.
2: Yeah, it was by far his best start of the year. And, you know, to be brutally honest, it wouldn't have taken much to have his best start of the year since he struggled so much. But seven scoreless inning was definitely something that we've seen Wainwright do before. He did it in different fashion, though, because as you said, the four walks have kind of been a regular, you know, regular thing for Wainwright this year so far. But he was able to keep... Uh, runs off the board and that's at the end of the day, you know, as Wainwright kind of approaches the the latter half of his career or he's in the latter half of his career, as he approaches the final years of his career, if he wants to stay dominant on the mound, he's going to, he's going to have to just, you know, eventually keep those runs off the board and he only gave up four hits, which is also going to be since we've seen him give up, you know, multiple hits an inning, it seems like in his first, you know, handful of starts this season. So perhaps he's turning the corner. I mean, this Cubs team is it's a lineup that's scene, Wayne right before. So, I mean, you can't say he dominated them because of unfamiliarity or anything like that. Um, hopefully he can build off of it and, and uh, keep it going, kind of right the ship here as we head into the summer. I think and, and another.
1: Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Tito. Okay. Yeah. I, I was going to say, I think one, another common theme throughout this entire series when it comes to the pitchers is, they were able to walk as many batters as they did, but limit the damage. I mean, right. you're talking Leek gives up three walks. Martinez gives up four walks. Wainwright gives up four walks. And yet, none of those walks led to extra runs. And so, I, I mean, that's that's pretty good. I mean, that's a, that's a good sign. Um, and you wish, you know, you would hope that, you know, the Cardinals could have won Leek's start, but... You know, for the games two and three to, to give up as many walks as you did and come away without any extra damage, that's pretty good. And I'll take that any day of the week. I will take right. the Cardinals giving up walks but getting out of the innings, whether that's via the double play or just regular outs. Now, when it what becomes a problem, though, is, for, for instance, for Wainwright, is we've seen him give up walks. And by the fifth or you know fifth inning and the start of the sixth inning, he's already at ninety something pitches, and that's where his his struggle has been and It's almost like Carlos Martinez they both have been struggling recently to to command the fastball in the strike zone enough to where they are limiting themselves each inning and it and it's kind of concerning to me, but not to the point where I'm saying, okay. Matheny, go out there, or Yadi, go out there, calm them down. They they're working through some stuff, and I mean, I keep telling myself, hey, you know, this is it's May still. We're you know we're just we're just two months into
2: the season. By June, they're gonna have it right. And even in his start against the Cubs, Wainwright had that turbulent first sitting, and I think we were all were kind of thinking, well, here we go again. You know, some some hard hit balls. You know he had a walk, but he got out of that without giving up any runs. And after that, he just settled in. So maybe he just needed, you know, one of those innings where, you know, some runners got on base. He was threw like 20 some pitches that inning, but eventually he got a break and didn't give up any runs, got some outs, and that it seems like that's what he needed. He settled in after that. And yeah, I mean, we'll we'll just have to see. It, it, it is May, and he's got a lot of he's got a lot of starts and pitches to be thrown ahead this season. Um, so yeah, I, I hope Wainwright can just you know, keep doing what he did against the Cubs. Well, guys, what we need
0: to do is I'd like for us to take a little break, uh, but I want our listeners to stick with us and to come back after the break because, unfortunately, the following series coming up right behind the Cubs was not as happy as the Cubs series. So stick with us, and we'll be right back in just a second. Thanks for sticking with us. If you're just now joining us, this is the third episode of the official Redbird Rants podcast. I am Michael Miles, co-editor of RedbirdRants.com, a fan-sided site for all things St. Louis Cardinals. And I am joined in this podcast by Tito Rivera and Nathan Grimes. Thanks, guys, for being here tonight. Uh, Great conversation so far. If you've missed it, make sure you go back and catch up with it because it's a great talk-through of the Cardinals and a really wonderful series against the Cubs. But, fellas, let's turn gears a little and let's talk about the very brief two-game interleague series with the AL East Boston Red Sox. W- what's there to learn from this series? Because, man, I'm I'm going to be real honest with you guys. I, yesterday's game was a tough pill
2: to swallow. Yeah, I think if there's an – kind of an overarching takeaway just from this brief two-game series in which the Cardinals lost both games. It's that, you know, the Cardinals are are a good team. We saw them them go, you know, win, have, have a lot of wins in the last few weeks. I think it was 18-6 and six or something like that in their last 24 games. But then they dropped these two at home against the Red Sox, and that kind of just proves that, you know, it's not going to be an easy road, but the Cardinals will just have to bounce back and win the series this weekend against the San Francisco Giants. The Red Sox are also a good team. You know, they have a similar record as the Cardinals here after the series and the Cardinals, you know, kept the games close and competed, but at the end of the day, they weren't able to get the job done and two losses, you know, kind of stung after that good series against the Cubs, as you mentioned in the two games, five errors committed in the field. So it seems like Cardinals still are trying to shake off that, that haunting defense that hounded them all last year and really hurt them in, in the first few weeks of the season. Um, you know, but the starting pitching was all right. Mike Leake had another good start. Lance Lynn was, was subpar, but uh, he gave his team a chance to win. And Bullpen gave up some runs as well. But I mean, the Cardinals competed, weren't able to get the job done. But I think it's just one of those one of those instances where you say, yeah, it was two games. Would have liked to win them, but I mean, the sky's not falling, obviously. And the Cardinals will just have to gear up for the series this weekend and then have a the tough road trip ahead against two of the better teams in the National League, in the Rockies and the Dodgers.
1: Yeah, and, and to answer your question, Dr. Miles, about what did I learn, I think I've got two things. The first thing that I learned was that the Cardinals are exactly the team you think they are. Uh, they'll win games. They'll lose games. When they lose, it's going to be frustrating, and when they win, they're good games, and that's exactly what you saw this, you know, in these two games. And and I'll be honest with you guys, I hate these two game splits. I think it's a joke, but whatever. Um, but the Cardinals, you know, particularly in last night's game, when you blow a four-run lead in, you know, in, in after seven innings. That one that hurts that one really hurts because you lose the first game pretty convincingly. I mean when you can throw uh, Craig Kimberl out there and make your batters look like you know nothing i mean that's that's pretty tough to beat, but when you lose a game leading four to zero in extras that that's a that's a gut check right there, and it's so that's why you know it's gonna be. Really interesting to see what they, what the, how the Cardinals respond in these next couple of days. Which brings me to my second point is, is in my May in my May schedule article, I said it, the Boston Red Sox have a good offense. You have to be, your pitching has to be on point to get through this part of the schedule, and and it's not that the Cardinals were you know god awful. But, you know, Lynn has a subpar start. As you said, Nathan, gives up, a, you know, I think he gave up four earned, I believe. He gives up a Yeah, gives up two, a, two of them are earned game. because of the
2: errors, but four runs,
1: yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know, he gives up runs. The, the team gives up runs. And their offense, the Boston offense, is, is good. So the, the other thing that I truly learned is, is that Boston is probably just as good if not better than the Cardinals, at least lineup-wise. Pitching-wise, I probably they're probably the same. But Boston has a good team. And I would not be surprised if they catch the Yankees and the Orioles here very quickly. I mean, David Price is coming back from the DL pretty shortly. So I, I, I would be watching out for the Boston Red Sox. I mean, I'm sure they were a heavy favorite to begin with. But, you know... This is probably the beginning of their season, really, for them, and they're, they're a hot team.
2: Yeah, and at the same time, you know, when you say the Cardinals blew a four-run lead, obviously that, that makes you think immediately yeah. of pitching, like they blew that lead. At the same time, the Cardinals' offense failed to score in the final 11 innings of the game against the Red Sox last night. So that's concerning. And, I mean, Mike Leake gave up two of those runs in the seventh, a home run. Rosenthal, his first blow and save of the season. But honestly, guys, I didn't think he pitched that bad. He gave up one hit, one hard hit ball was a triple to Bogarts. And then a walk was another run that scored. And, you know, that I think kind of can be chalked up to a very tight strike zone there towards the end of the game. Um, and then, the, you know, we had five scoreless innings after that from, excuse me, four scoreless innings after that from Sun Lano, Matt Bowman, and uh, Tsui Vilala. eventually the uh, get. He gets, gets up the run in the thirteenth inning, but the offense does not score from innings three to thirteen, and that I think is what lost the cards the game.
1: I found it really interesting, um, I believe it was the thirteenth inning where Tommy Pham tried to steal. I was I was with my dad and we were listening to the game on the way back from actually the Royals game and I was I heard him get called out and I looked at my dad, I said, what is he doing? you did a winning run with two outs already, and you're going to go? Uh, I, yeah. I, I could not believe it. I thought that was a- absolutely a terrible decision. Well, and I'll tell yeah. you, you
0: heard it on the radio. I watched it on television, and I think the reaction you had was the same reaction Jed Jerko expressed on his face, as he had to walk away. Mm-hmm. From the plate and then come back up at the start of the 14th yeah. when we came back to bat and I, he gave that look Tito he he looked like what were you thinking and much less that yeah. why are you trying to steal like you said with two outs and with Jerko at the plate who has been yeah. absolutely taking the cover off the ball why would you move it uh-huh.
2: all it
1: it was a, it was a terrible, yeah. I mean. It was a terrible base running decision, and, and the Cardinals have been—you know—they've been terrible at base running again this year. But it, it's just a simple mind. I, since I didn't see the game, I don't know if you guys saw anything or heard anything about that. If whether you know Matheny called for him to steal or not. Unfortunately, on the on the way home, it was the Boston feed, and so <laughs> they they were. You know, they were just like, oh, and Tommy Pham gets called out or get, tries to steal and gets called out. I'm like, great, <laughs> great. Hmm. I cannot imagine. I mean, I just – you're right, Doctor. I mean, you have easily one of your best hitters coming up, at least this season, Your best hitters, one of your best hitters coming up, and you run yourself into the third and final out. That's, I mean, that's just unbelievable. I mean, I cannot believe that.
2: Yeah, I'm 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 pretty certain that would be a move that would come from the bench. So that's probably Massini's call. And I will defend it to a small degree here. I, I guess I kind of understand the thinking as far as you want to get a man in scoring position with a run producer like Jerker at the plate. But then again, if you have if, if you have confidence that Tommy Pham can steal that base and get to second, then you would probably have the same confidence that Tommy Pham can score from first base on an extra base hit with your cleanup batter with your cleanup better at the plate. So, yeah, in hindsight, it's not a good move. And, you know, I'm sure there's, there's reasons to say, you know, it's not a good move anyways, as, as you guys have kind of touched on. I kind of understand it. But, again, we've seen so many frustrating base running mistakes by the Cardinals that it kind of just, you know, adds insult to injury when you see them get thrown out. As you said, like in the 12th inning with two outs, the Cardinals just need one run middle of their lineup up. That was definitely disappointing to see
1: i and and I and I get the whole get him into scoring position but um and i and I should check the replay on this, and I don't know how you saw it, but the old adage is is, if you don't get a good jump, don't go, and I feel like the way that they broadcasted it on the radio, he didn't get a good jump because they made it sound like he was out by a mile, so is that what how it looked like on t v I'll tell you, yeah. That's I mean, what it looked
2: like, you know? yeah, it wasn't too close. Like it wasn't one of those things where they're going to replay it. Head right. Slice, so he was out. Was right he was comfortably yeah. out. So uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, he, I get, he was out.
1: I get it. I get it, but I, mean, I, I just, you, I think it's a terrible decision.
0: I mean, I'll tell you what, Nathan. When you said that you were going to defend Matheny, I almost disowned you for just a moment, but <laughs> I, I can. <laughs> I can hear your, your perspective and your point, and I, I can certainly respect that. Now, I will say this. If it's being called from the bench, I am much more re- would be much more relieved and much more accepting of him being thrown out if it were a failed hit-and-run.
2: Because I right. think in that
0: instance, with, with the good to moderate speed that Sam gives you, I think a hit-and-run with one of your hottest hitters at the plate would have been fine but if i remember correctly Jerko didn't swing i don't even think that no, yeah. he that was even just a
2: straight steal slightly
0: offered yeah it was just yeah, a straight steal was... and that, that's
1: just yeah, the manifesto 101 yeah and in game management you would never you would i i guarantee you there won't be a lot of managers that do a hit and run with their cleanup hitter i can guarantee that there's I, there are few far in between that would ever do that. And you know what? Joe Madden might be the only manager in baseball that would ever consider doing a hit-and-run with his cleanup hitter because his cleanup hitter is Addison Russell.
2: Yeah. And especially not in the 12th inning when you've got the winning run. Yeah, no.
1: yeah, it was, it had to have been a straight steal. Uh, but, I mean, you know what? They still It didn't matter because they still had opportunities after that to cash in and opportunities before that to cash in and and they couldn't get it done. So regardless of Tommy Pham's base running mistake, the Cardinals, you know, they, again, helped by the ump, but they gave this game away and it stings. And that's why I think, you know, if the Cardinals want to respond, you go out and beat the Giants and you sweep them, but, they're playing pretty good baseball right now, so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not gonna count them out. Yeah,
0: they're always a tough team to take on, um, but I think that we've got a, another struggle that the team's going to have to face uh, even before they, or, or right as they start to face the Giants, and, and that's going to be some of these lineup questions. Uh, we, One of them that's probably the first one, and I know none of us want to talk about this, none of us want to talk about this, is Johnny Peralta is set to be reactivated on Friday, tomorrow. Uh, We're taping this Thursday night, May 17th, and Johnny Peralta is set to be activated after a few minor league rehab starts. And Let me just kick this off, guys, and then I, I cannot wait to hear the just the visceral reactions you have to the name Johnny Peralta and activated in the same sentence. But I have written this is in the last two or three days, one of those really sort of beg- begging the Cardinals to just cut Johnny Peralta loose and eat the ten million dollars that he's owed for this season to open up a forty man roster spot. In addition, I actually wrote a piece today saying you know hey please mosaic keep sierra in the majors really talking about don't choose peralta over him and i understand all the facets of that but i am just experiencing such a severe case of indigestion when i think of johnny peralta coming back when i when i look at the numbers that he posted in triple a in fact the piece i wrote today i took and compared Tommy Pham's AAA numbers when a lot of people were honking for him to be uh, promoted. And we're not talking about the same situation there. What do you guys, what do you feel about it?
2: I, I would agree with you. We kind of, like, none of us really want to see Perl the back on the roster just because of Tommy Pham's production and Magnar's, Sierra's production. Um, I'm sure you and Tito have, plenty of things to say about why Peralta shouldn't be on the roster, so I guess I'll provide a little bit of perspective. If you're looking for maybe just a little bit of a reason why to put him back on the roster, Um, he's not going to be the starting third baseman this weekend against the Giants, and he won't be, you know, kind of, I, I wouldn't expect him to be the starting third baseman really for the rest of the year unless Judge Jericho goes down and some other guys go down on the infield, so he'll be a bench piece. So we won't have to worry about Masini putting him fourth in the lineup as he did in the opening week. Um, I think if you're – and another reason maybe to have him back is just to add some infield depth, I suppose. You have said Jericho starting at third, um, and then Peralta will join Greg Garcia as a reserve infielder. Um, but if you look kind of at maybe AAA Memphis and the infield that they have, I think Paul DeYoung is probably the only guy that you would – feel maybe comfortable with uh, calling up if an injury arose or something like that, or if you needed to and plug him into the St. Louis starting lineup. Um, it's it's not like the situation the Cardinals have with outfielders. I mean, Sierra has been starting games with St. Louis this past week and he'll probably go down to like double a or even maybe single a where he was called up from. So the Cardinals have plenty of outfielders that they can kind of plug in and out of St. Louis I don't think they're in the same boat with their infield situation. So having Peralta on the roster is kind of just a little bit of insurance, I suppose. The way This, this is, of course, the way Moseleic sees it. I mean, I'm not really a big fan of seeing Peralta back on the roster, um, especially if that means Sierra goes down, which is probably what will happen tomorrow morning. But the way he probably sees it is, you know, if a Jerko were to get injured or, you know, let were to get injured, then Peralta would kind of just have a little – would add that insurance for the Cardinals infield so they wouldn't have to kind of rush up a triple-A or double-A infielder and plug them into St. Louis this summer if that were to happen.
1: Yeah, and this is my only defense of Johnny that I will give. He's a veteran bat and a veteran glove. He's played baseball for, you know, however many years, so he knows the game. That does not excuse his production, obviously, but that's probably the only reason why the Cardinals would keep him on the roster is to provide a veteran, another veteran body in there. And also, I think, you know, if you send, you know, let's imagine the scenario that Sam is the one that goes down and Sierra stays. Well, now you have three left-handed bats off the bench, including, you know, uh, Sierra, Adams, and Garcia, and only one right-handed bat off the bench in Eric Fryer. So, you know, you could see the scenario that if Sierra stays, that Peralta would come up and be a right-handed bat off the bench. Will it be productive and serviceable? Who knows? I mean, I don't know. And the only reason why... I don't want him on the roster is because he just doesn't have – I personally don't think he has any value to the Cardinals anymore. He just doesn't. He had his good years. Dr. Miles, I'm with you on this one. Cardinals need to swallow the $10 million and say thank you for your service. Uh, and as my dad put it this uh, yesterday, go back home to the Dominican Republic
2: and sit on the beach.
1: Enjoy your life.
2: Yes. Yeah. I think another, maybe another thing the organization is holding out some hope about Peralta is he had a good spring uh, at the plate. Um, And, you know, the struggles he had in the regular season, it was only two weeks. I mean, it it wasn't too much of a prolonged struggle. I mean, he looked bad. I think we all pretty much agree on that. Um, Maybe, you know, this, this, this upper respiratory thing he was dealing with, I mean, I don't know how much of that was just, okay, we need him off the roster how much of that was, like, a really serious thing that was bugging him. But he was in the lineup pretty much every day for the first week and a half. So, I mean, Matheny was trotting him out there the whole time. Um, the point you brought up, Tito, about having a veteran presence on the roster, um, that's always kind of something that a lot of teams talk about having. And the Cardinals had it last year with Matt Holiday. And, you know, once he, once they let him go in the offseason, there was a lot made about that. Well, you know, where, where are the pillars going to be? And, you know, now it's kind of just Wayno and Molina are left from that original group of pillars for the Cardinals. I'm not so sure about having Peralta on the roster just because he's a veteran presence. I mean, the Cardinals won 18 of 24 games immediately after Peralta was put on the disabled list. I mean, so they're winning games without this, you know, quote-unquote veteran presence. Um, You know, maybe they value that in the clubhouse. But, I mean, they already have it with Wainwright and Molina. I mean, I think they're putting Peralta back on the roster, holding out that hope that he can be productive in a limited role.
0: I think you guys I made just, some I... really wonderful. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. doctor. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll, I'll go. I think you guys made some really wonderful points about Peralta. It does not diminish my indigestion. I will tell you that <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I am not a medical doctor by any means, but I I never bought into the idea of the upper respiratory, the flu-like symptoms that sent him to the disabled list. The Cardinals are very, very clever and creative in how they work around their roster and how they work with their 40-man roster and, and their disabled list and their options. And what I saw more than something, and listen, uh, saying that he had an upper respiratory issue and flu-like symptoms, it's very believable because we watched this man who is in his mid-30s now really begin to deteriorate by, as I said earlier, Metheny riding a horse until its legs fall off. And I think that that was the believable story, that, yeah, we watched him get gassed because he was dealing with some form of infection. Oh, and then, by the way, the medicine he was given for it, he had an adverse reaction to. It is just very clever. It's very clever and uh, methodical, and I have oftentimes written that Moselec is a genius at political doublespeak, and I never really bought into it, but I was glad to see that move being made. Now, having said that, what we need to do is take one more short break, break, we have about 10 minutes left in our show. What I'd like to do when we come back from the show, there are other um, impending roster moves. And I'd love to hear the two of you, when we come back, tease for us. Let us know what you think is coming as other people return from the disabled list, as we near the uh, two-day, we're about two days out from when uh, Lewis Robert can sign. would just love to hear that. And then I would love to dangle out that carrot of this uh, possibility that Matt Adams may be facing a trade coming up. So stick with us. We'll be back right after the break. Hey, thanks for sticking with us. You are listening to the third official podcast of Redbird Rants, fan-sided location for all things St. Louis Cardinals. I am Michael Miles, co-editor for Redbird Rants. I'm joined uh, in this podcast by two of our great writers, Tito Rivera and Nathan Grime. And we were talking before the break of the return, the possible return of Johnny Peralta. Uh, we've now used some, Zana, uh, some Zantac, not Xanax, some Zantac and our indigestion is a little diminished by the return of Peralta. So what we want to do now is we want to look at the impending other roster changes that are coming we've got some players who could be returning from the disabled list we also have the possibility in the next two days of signing lewis robert and some other things including potentially a matt adams trade so tito will you kick us off and just let us know what you think is going to happen with the roster do you think we're going to get lewis robert and let me hear it is there a possibility that matt adams could be looking at a new home
1: so I guess to start off, I'll go ahead and address the Luis Robert uh, story. Our guest is signing. I'm going to go out on the positive side, and I think the Cardinals get this done. I think uh, they are easily one of the front runners for this kid. Apparently, he's the real deal. And, I was, you know, I was reading an article I think it was by Buster only pretty much saying, you know, this is the Cardinals opportunity to find a young kid that could be a plus impact bat. And that has plagued the Cardinals since Albert Pujols has left. And so you know, if that if that if this kid is as good as they say he is, I would hope that the Cardinals make every effort possible to go get this kid, and and hopefully he becomes what we you know what we expect him to be or what is projected of him. As far as the other upcoming roster moves, I mean you're talking about uh, getting Stephen Piscotty back, so you know it's an interesting it's an in, it's going to be an interesting dilemma, that's for sure. Because with Johnny Peralta back and Stephen Piscotty on his way back, you know the Cardinals are going to have to make some moves. And, you know, one thing that I keep coming back to is do you take, I guess, this triangle of outfielders in Magnera Sierra, Tommy Pham, and Randall Gritchick. Um, You know, over the last couple episodes, I'll be honest, I've been really, really down on Gritchick. He hasn't shown me anything this year, at least in terms of him improving. So, I don't know. I, I, I'm kind of concerned about Grichik, and I I know he'll probably stay on the team. But if I'm a St. Louis Cardinal fan right now, I'm kind of hoping that maybe the Cardinals would send him down and get him some at-bats and see if he can get right again. Because right now, he's just not doing it. So, I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to say that the Cardinals, once Piscotti comes back and Johnny Peralta comes back, I'm going to say that the Cardinals will keep Tommy Pham up, send Sierra down to double-A ball, and Gritchick will actually go down to triple-A and get some at-bats if he can get himself right. And as for Matt Adams, um, you know, the the Atlanta Braves just lost Freddie Freeman, but they're a team in rebuilding mode. They're not going to go out and, and really do anything. I I just don't, I honestly, you know, Matt Adams getting traded. I don't see it happening.
2: Yeah. So well, my that hurts take my heart, on the... Cito,
0: that, that breaks my heart. And I'm going to take you out because of that, but I, I, I'm going to let Nathan talk because I think
2: he may redeem sure. you a little, but go ahead, Nathan. Sure. All right. Yeah. So my take here on the, on the upcoming roster, moves. there's obviously a lot to talk about. Um, I'll kind of start where Tito finished Matt Adams. You know, I'm actually on board with Tito here. I don't think the Braves are looking for, to make a trade for Adams. Freeman's going to be out like eight to ten weeks or something like that after being hit by a pitch in the hand. But, I mean, if from the Braves' perspective, as Tito mentioned, I mean, they're a team in rebuilding mode. I mean, do they need Matt Adams? They need someone to play first base. But, I mean, it's an opportunity for one of their prospects, you know, to get the call and get some major league experience. And then from the Cardinals' perspective, who are you going to trade for Matt Adams? Like, are you, you'll probably want prospects from the Braves because there's no, like, glaring needs at the major league level. I mean, the Braves aren't going to, you know, send you a, a starting pitcher or something like that. The Braves aren't going to want to send prospects because they're in rebuilding mode. So I don't think the Braves are a are a match for the Cardinals um, trading for Matt Adams. That being said, I think there's maybe some possibilities that uh, Moselec kind of, you know, browses the market looks at a trade with another team, you know, I haven't really kept tabs on what teams are looking for first basemen um, or things like that. Or if they think Adams can play left field, like Matheny does, what teams are looking for left fielders. Uh, But that'll be interesting. I'm sure Moe's, you know, I'm sure is on top of that situation. Um, And while we're talking about trades, uh, Tito mentioned that he might, that he's expecting to see Gritchick perhaps go down to the minor leagues. As Piscotti comes back up, I think, the ship has kind of sailed for Gritschik going, you know, back and forth between the minor leagues and the major leagues in the St. Louis Cardinals organization. Yes, he's had his struggles this season as he's had them in previous seasons, yet he keeps getting the starts in the field, and that's, you know, that, that, is, that, that stays true to the commitment that the team gave him in the offseason that he would be a starting outfielder for the Cardinals this season. So if there is a move to be made for Gritschik, I think it's either a decrease in playing time, you know, as if Fam if keeps – Keeps uh, you know getting more playing time because of what he's been able to do at the plate. As Deshawdy returns, or I think maybe Grichik becomes expendable, and the Cardinals perhaps look at uh, look at Gritchick in in a trade for for some prospects for another team. Gritchik is still very young; he's 25 years old. He has enough major league experience that we've kind of we 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 kind of have seen what he can do at the major league level, and maybe that's more enticing to another team than it is to the Cardinals. Um, Other roster talk, uh, yeah, Paroles is coming back tomorrow. I think Sierra goes down in that move. And then coming back tomorrow. Um, I think the corresponding move in Pascati's return is probably a relief pitcher going down. Um, Honestly, they've had eight relief pitchers in the bullpen for some time now, and that is not what the Cardinals have usually done in previous seasons. They usually have seven. Um, And the bullpen kind of just is, you know, it's been all right, but there's not a lot of defined roles in the bullpen right now, and sending a guy down would kind of solidify at least the roles that these relievers have. And when you talk about the relievers that the Cardinals might send down, I think there's kind of three options that come to mind here. One would be Miguel Sokolovich, who's had his struggles this year. Um, he made the roster because he had a good spring, but also because he was out of minor league options. So if the Cardinals decide to take Sokolovic off the 25-man roster, he would have to be DFA, which means then he would have to go through waivers, He'd be available for every single, all 29 other major league teams before being returned. So that would be a risk the Cardinals would have to take if they wanted to do that. I think another option is Jonathan Broxton. It's kind of a similar situation with Johnny Peralta as far as like he's a veteran on the last year of his contract pedigree, but he struggled this year and um, Matheny's kind of stuck with him, but I wonder what Mo is thinking. Uh, He might just, you know, kind of take that take that piece out of the toolbox uh, and kind of just bite the cost on Broxton, too. Um, a third option that I kind of was thinking of, and this kind of revisits the whole thing we brought up about Peralta's injury and kind of that um, going on the deal because of kind of a unique situation or something like that because of struggles. Kevin Seegers was unavailable during the Red Sox series because of some discomfort in his neck, which was a nerve issue that he had a couple of years ago. I mean, maybe we see Seagrass even go to the disabled list to make room for Steven Piscotti. Um I think there's maybe an outside chance that that would happen tomorrow. Uh, I don't think it's likely, so maybe I just look like an idiot saying that, but I mean, it's possible. Um, and then the, sorry, I'm kind of rambling now, but the other thing you brought up about Luis Robert, I don't, I, the Cardinals are, are not front runners, but they're certainly in contention. Um, I guess it's harder to make a prediction, I think, from what I've seen and what I've Red, the White Sox are probably the front runners, but I'd certainly like to see the Cardinals sign the kid. I mean, 19 years old seems kind of like a a once-in-a-generation talent, and the Cardinals had a lot of fielders in their minor league system, but you can never have too much talent, so it'd be nice to see the Cardinals get that done. You guys, while
0: being very intelligent, are really missing out on the idea of Matt Adams being traded to... (laughs)
1: I'll give, I'll, I'll give you this scenario. Here, how about this scenario? What if, and bear with me on this one, what if the Yankees and the Cardinals find it are suitable partners for Matt Adams? The Yankees, their, their prospect Greg Bird has not been good. I mean, he's young. He's probably, I think he's a little younger than Matt Adams. But for the time being, you know, he's on the DL Uh, Matt Adams might be serviceable to them short porch in right field you never know
0: you know I'm going to let us bring everything to a close with that because I I am pretty excited by that idea I was uh, not really kicking around the idea of the Cardinals having conversations with the Yankees but I'm glad you brought that up because uh, anytime that we can talk about Matt Adams going anywhere makes me pretty excited (laughs) Uh, but listen, guys. I want to, I want to thank you for joining me in episode three, and thank you for episodes one and two. You guys are so smart and doing outstanding work for us. And I just want to thank you and and thanks for doing a, the first live broadcast. Uh, we're going to continue these. Uh, we'll have this podcast pulled together and edited and put on our site and up on iTunes. Coming up. So thanks again, you guys. And To all of our listeners, uh, please follow all of us at redbirdrants.com and check us out, and go Cardinals. Thanks so much.